Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. My guest today deals with OmniShield, which are a technology which deals with fire alarms, deals with flooding, uh, carbon monoxide. I'd like to welcome today Sam Barnes. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastically, Rhys. And yourself? Good, good. Yeah, Thanks for coming right. on. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, first thing I want to know is um, how you got into the, the business of fire alarms and dealing with fires and how to um, well, stop them from happening, pretty much. Yeah. Well, I, I was actually in Gisborne in uh, July 2017. I was in a motel down there. And at three o'clock in the morning, my offsider, who was sleeping in the room with the three single beds, I was in the room with the kitchen and uh, TV and so forth. Uh, Sam, 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 I hear I open the door. The mattress beside his bed was on fire. Now, the only reason he is alive today is the smoke from the burning rubber mattress was so acrid, it made him cough and the coughing woke him up. Um, there was a fire alarm in the room I was in, but none in the room he was in. And it did not go off even though it went off every time we cooked. So what was the reason for it not going off? Well, there's different types of alarms. There's what they call ionization, which is the most common alarm most people have in New Zealand. They're actually being pulled off the shelves at the moment because of their high failure rate, but they're still legal. They're still perfectly okay to put in your home as far as government regulations go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just after that, a friend of mine who lives in Hawaii rang me and said, you've got to come to Dallas, Texas and check out this company. They make the best fire detection equipment in the world by a country mile. Right. And the meeting was on my birthday. So I figured someone was trying to tell me something. So I went. And uh, when I saw what was there, I thought, I'd never heard of this company before. So and this thought, is OmniShield. This is the OmniShield company, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, when I saw it, I thought everybody should have this. I couldn't believe how totally underprepared for fire almost everywhere in New Zealand, Australia, England, the rest of the world is basically. So what separates OmniShield from other companies that probably design fire alarms? Well, most of the alarms we get are made in China, Taiwan, Mexico, by huge corporations, and they're manufactured by the cheapest bidder. They're really put on the shelf to be cheaper than the closest one to it. Right. Um, they have very limited scope. They're normally single purpose. They only pick up smoke depending on photoelectric or ionization type alarms. Uh, and if one goes off, that's the only one that goes off. With an OmniShield network, if you have a fire in your roof space, you'll hear it in your kitchen, your bedroom, and every single room in the house. When an alarm goes off, they all go off. And that's the biggest thing to saving people's lives. So is that just due to the uh, wireless nature of them? Yeah, correct. They've got a radio receiver, radio transmitter inside them with an up to 70 metre range. That means you could have a sleep out out the back with your kids sleep or your elderly mother or something has a um, sleep out away from the house. If a fire started there, you'd know about it inside the house or vice versa. Right. Okay. You did mention that uh, smoke alarms have a fi high failure rate. What, what percentage are we talking here? Well, the ionization alarms in a smoldering fire, and smoldering fires have bigger particles of smoke. Faster burning fires or cooking fires have smaller particles. So we tend to have ionization alarms in the house and they go off when we cook, so we think they work. But the uh, ionization alarm doesn't go off very well when you've got large particles like a smoldering lounge suite or the burning bed in Gisborne. Right. Uh, today, 
in the States, they are making a laws where all alarms have to be multi-criteria. Now, that means they either have to be both ionization and photoelectric, or they have to be photoelectric and heat, because some fires put out a lot of heat without a lot of smoke, like when we burn very dry kindling. Right. Right. I see. Um, some of the, the, the manufacturing, too, is just most companies in the third world where they're making all these things build everything down to the cheapest possible price. The company, uh, Global Health and Safety, who are the manufacturers holding company, they build everything up to the highest possible standard. Like the batteries even used are not lithium-ion 10-year batteries, and they're certainly not 9-volt batteries you have to replace. They're an industrial lithium-manganese battery with an expected 20-year life. Basically, it means you can set it and forget it, Reese. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Subtle, subtle English for me. Yeah. Um, okay, but so if this, if this technology uh, has a high failure rate, how yep. come the government hasn't done anything to? Very good question. Change right. the law. <laughs> and you, you did ask me what the failure rate was. Sorry, yeah, yeah. The failure rate on ionization alarms is about fifty-five percent in a smoldering fire, nineteen point eight percent in a fast-burning fire. That's like heads they go off, tails they don't in a smoldering fire. That's that's a pretty terrible It's staggering. Percentage. It's a staggering percentage. And that's why so many people have died in the past. Their alarms just did not sound. The other factor is sometimes they do sound, but they don't hear them because they're sleeping at the other end of the house. Would you happen to know the, the stats of how often a smoke alarm would fail in the event of a fire in New Zealand? Well, if it's a smoldering fire, if it's an ionization alarm, it'll fail approximately 55% of the time. If it's a fast burning fire, it will fail approximately 19.8% of the time. But what I mean is um, the, 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 oh, what? of what's recorded in terms of, you know, how there would be people that have, have passed away or died yeah. from these fires, how many of them would be related to smoke alarms failing? A large number. A large number. Yeah. And I can't give you specific specifics yeah, because fine. obviously when people have died, it's very hard to say, did they hear the alarm? Did it go off at all? And so forth. Yeah. But if we've been following the papers since being in this pretty constantly and daily, there's a lot of fires going off all over the country and some fatalities too. Oh, okay. And actually the fatality rate, roughly 30 people per year die in New Zealand from house fires. Most of those people shouldn't have died, Reese. Yeah. Oh wow. So what 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 usually causes these fires? Actually, interestingly, I went and saw one of the uh, head uh, investigators from the New Zealand Fire Department just a bit over a month ago, and he said to me that uh, thirty to forty percent of house fires are kitchen fires. Now, a lot of those will be our fault. You know, we left the tea towel too close to the element. We put a pan or a pot on the fire on the element and. Forgot about it, got distracted, went to check on the kids or something, came back and the house was on fire or the kitchen was on fire. But that means 60% were not our fault. Yeah. Now, some of those things are a rat chewing through a wire in your ceiling, old electrical uh, wires. Uh, some of the things we've seen are doing appalling. The fire in Gisborne started uh, because there was a computer on the bed. So that can start a fire, just a computer on a bed. Computer was on the bed, and that's the only thing we could put down to starting that fire. It was burnt. 
It's like the battery just must have shorted out, much like the Samsung Note 7 phones were doing, that you weren't even allowed to take on an aeroplane because they would catch fire. Yeah. Uh, phone chargers have been responsible for a lot of fires. Light fittings, even power points, power boards, so electric just blankets. malfunctions, electric malfunctions pretty much. Exactly. Well, Samsung also, and it's not Samsung, by the way, don't, I'm not putting Samsung down here because all the major manufacturers have had recalls over the years. Samsung had quite a recent one, though, where 72,000 washing machines were recalled because they were catching fire. Yeah, I think I remember reading about right. that somewhere. Uh, I saw in the paper the other day, there'd been something like 24 different brands of heaters recalled since 2010. 24 brands of heaters because they posed a safety risk or a fire risk. There was a fire in Templeview only a couple of, a month and a half, two months ago. A dehumidifier caused that fire. Yeah, yeah. actually, yeah, I do remember that one. That there was very, very recent. Very recent. Elderly couple in there. The gentleman woke up from his afternoon nap. Um, he, he heard an alarm go off. He went to wake his wife, but she was still asleep. Because why was she still asleep? Because the alarms didn't go off at her end of the house. Uh, now, if he'd been out doing the garden and doing, doing the shopping, that would have been a tragedy. Yeah. So it's just a miracle, really. Yeah. That he woke up when he did. Exactly. So I'm sure you, you stay close to the media in terms of what they say in regards to fires. But is there some common misconceptions in terms of fires and... There's some very how, common. How they started, yeah. There's four really common misconceptions that we talk about all the time. The first is it won't happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <well. laughs> now, if you've never had a fire, or you've never had some close friends or whanau that have had a fire, you tend to be much more under that misapprehension. You know, people say to us, "Oh, but I'm careful. I turn things off. I don't let the kids have matches, or we don't smoke in the house." But 30 to 40% of fires are like kitchen type fires, 60% aren't. They're all those things like faulty electrical appliances, all those other things we talked about earlier that can start a fire, no fault of our own. And a good example is that Granville Tower in London that killed 72 people. Yep. The cause of that fire was a refrigerator on the third floor. It wasn't even that old. Now, we're not going to turn our refrigerators off every night we go to sleep. No. When the fire got into the out of the window of the third floor into the cladding, well, unfortunately, that, sh that cladding should never have even been on the building, but that was the end of it for 72 unfortunate people. That's real sad. That's terrible. And like I say, what can we do about an electrical appliance that fails? Yeah. Sorry, I'll just make sure my phone's silence. <laughs> A little interlude <laughs> for the, little, for little the people listening. <laughs> I'll just put that on, uh, what do you call it? Um, Silent. Silent mode. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so sometimes in fires, it's not the actual fire that kills the person. Correct. Yeah. In fact, so, most times it's not the fire. So what is it? What is it that it usually um, kills the person? Well, the biggest single killer is actually asphyxiation or lack of oxygen. Yeah. Now, what happens when you uh, get very low on oxygen is you're unable to function or think or do anything properly. Uh, if you're asleep, you may not even wake up. And then it's the toxic fumes and the um, smoke and the carbon monoxide that may finish you off. In reality, though, that's what will be written on. And the flames are normally the very last thing to get people. Yep. They're normally dead before the flames hit them. 
Um, that's what would be written on people's death certificate, though. They died of carbon monoxide poisoning. They died of smoke inhalation. They died of asphyxiation. In reality, what killed them was they died of not enough time to get out. Time is the thing that kills people in a house fire. How much time do you really have realistically to get out of a fire? If you haven't got out of a house in under two to three minutes, you may not get out at all. Two to three minutes? Two to three minutes. That is not much time at all. It's not a lot of time at all. And Particularly that is, if you've got a big house. And you've got children or elderly people you have to get out or assist other people out as well. Now, that's from when the fire starts too, Reese. not from when you find out about it. Yeah, good point. So if you think about um, all those people that died, the 30-odd people that died, hardly any of those people would have died in a daytime fire or when the whole family was awake and alert, yeah. you know, even if it was you know dark. Because you'd see the fire, you'd smell it, you'd hear it. Everyone would get out. At night, though, when we're asleep, our sense of smell is switched off like a light switch when we go to sleep. Our hearing is drastically reduced. Our eyes are shut. And we're off in la-la land dreaming about Lord knows what. And the next thing you know, the room's filling with smoke and you're breathing it and you're not even aware of it. And so if you're breathing it, then I suppose that sleep turns into a, an unconscious, a full-on unconscious state. Exactly. I, I saw a guy a few months ago who was telling me that his, I think it was a friend of his brother's, who um, put a chip cooker or something on, sat down to, and started playing on his PlayStation, uh, waiting for the oil to heat up, went to sleep. When they found him, the PlayStation was still sitting there on his lap. He was just sort of in the chair dead. That's, that's crazy. It's what happens all the time. Wow. Wow. So um, I know I know I've read in modern times that fires tend to start faster than they did back in the I don't know the early 40s and 50s and absolutely what 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 would be the reason for that well just about everything today is made of synthetic materials right um, in fact Nigel Latter did something recently where he looked at an average lounge suite and he got out all these cans of petrol to say your lounge, your three-seater lounge is about four of these cans of petrol, your two-seater is about three, your one-seater is about two. And he went on and on to say an average lounge suite is the equivalent of about 35 litres of petrol when it burns. Now, back in the old days, in grandfather's day, everything was synthetic. It was cotton or wool or horsehair or something like that. In fact, my wife, when she was 10, her father dropped a cigarette in a lounge suite. Um, it smouldered for hours and thank God she woke up in the middle of the night and alerted them. If it had been a modern lounge suite, it would have burst into flames within a matter of minutes and uh, it could have been a completely different outcome. What uh, I suppose there's certain houses that would burn faster than others? Yeah, the inside, the, the outside of a house isn't really much of an issue though. Right. Um, it's the materials inside. By the time the outside or the structure catches fire, the people inside it are, have either escaped or they are no longer with us. Right. right? It's by the time that um, chair catches fire made of synthetic materials, it can literally be a matter of minutes before the room reaches what's called flashover. 
I've heard of this term. Can you um, just explain to the yep. listeners and viewers what that is? Well, flash over is a firefighting term for when the room gets so hot, everything literally just bursts into flames. You don't have to have fire touching it. It's just the heat ignites it. It reaches its flashpoint and just ignites. I read something, there was a thing published from Tasmania the other day, and the uh, firefighting guy that wrote the article said that when a room reaches flashpoint, the flames can travel at about eight metres a second. It just then just goes kaboom, basically. Is it like a mini explosion? Well, it might just fill the room with flames. It might not explode, but uh, if the doors open, it can just go poof from one end of the room to the other, and next to, in, in literally seconds. So, when do you watch films sometimes and see the fires and look at them and be like, oh, "That's so unrealistic," or do you look at them and be like, oh, "That is realistic," like uh, backdraft and. Chicago Fire and movies like that. Yeah, yeah. And then there was, oh, I forgot, Letter, is it Letter 49? Letter 59 yeah. or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen films with fires, but obviously because you're more up with the subject, I'm wondering if you'd, you'd be able to tell me if how realistic they are. Uh, I haven't seen either of those movies for a long time. Actually, since I've been in this business, I haven't okay, watched Okay, so those you haven't watched again. really any movies lately that have... But I suppose no. if you did watch a movie these days compared to when you used to, yeah. would you yeah. automatically be able to be like, that's... I'd probably have a different a different viewpoint on a lot of the things because, <laughs> you know, they can do wonderful things with all those special effects machines that may not be the real life situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting. So how do you... When, in your inner circle, how many people you know would, would be well prepared if a fire happened? We actually devised this little checklist recently. Okay. And uh, because if you had a fire tonight, and if we look at it, anyone could have a fire. And worst possible case scenario, it could happen tonight. There could be a rat chewing through a wire in our ceilings. There could be a faulty appliance somewhere or whatever. How a fire starts doesn't matter. How it ends matters. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> uh, if a fire were to start, sorry, sorry, just run back the question back again. You, oh, I've got Sartre there. Uh, I was asking um, how prepared people... How prepared, the checklist, yeah. Yeah, would be for in, in the case of a fire. Correct. In the so, event of a fire. So we devised this little checklist. And we said, well, if a fire did start tonight, naught to 10, naught being we've got nothing, no fire blankets, no extinguishers, no alarms, zero in the house, 10 being we've got the best we could have, where would everybody want to be if they actually had a fire? Right. Answer's pretty obvious. You'd want to be at the highest you could. Yeah. So we'd got this checklist, and it just goes through... Um, where we have alarms, what type of alarms we've got, um, do we have extinguishers in the house, uh, do we have a meeting spot outside the house for everyone to meet, have we got an escape plan? The majority of the people we see are around 30 to 40% prepared for a fire. That's pretty low. And it gets lower than 30 or 40. We see it sub 20 fairly regularly too. Yeah. So... If you were to tell people to pre be prepared for a fire, what items or what things would you tell them to do right. to make sure that they're prepared? Well, I recommend everybody has a fire blanket in their kitchen because most fires, the majority of fires are kitchen, started in kitchens. So when right. you say a fire blanket, what... what... It's a fiberglass blanket, either right. 1.8 or 1 metre by 1 metre, 1.8 by 1 metre. Okay. And you just put it over, let's say it's a pot that's caught fire. Right put the fire blanket over the pot, it just suffocates the fire and puts it out straight away. So to have one of those in the kitchen is a, a really good start. 
but they will not put out a bigger fire. Like if a lounge suite or the curtains started to catch fire, yeah. for that you need an extinguisher. So everyone should have at least an extinguisher in their kitchen. Reason being the kitchen is also very close to the living room, which is the second most likely place for a fire to start. So if you're cooking or if you're, a fire starts in the living room for whatever reason, then uh, you've got that fire extinguisher really close by. Yeah. The second place to have one is in your bedroom. Because if the fire starts in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning, you want to come out and the alarms go off, you want to come out of that bedroom door loaded for bear. You want that fire extinguisher in your hand. You don't want to be running around looking for it. Because literally we have seconds to put the fire out or we're going to lose our home. Yeah. I want. Are you saying every single room to have a fire extinguisher? No, but at least the master bedroom. The master bedroom. The, the master bedroom and the uh, kitchen or kitchen living room type area. Yeah. Okay. Do, uh, uh, sorry. sorry what were you going to say? I was going to say, and then obviously alarms. And uh, the biggest thing about alarms is that they are interconnected. The Australian and New Zealand Fire Authorities have put a document together just very recently um, and inherent to the entire document, if it says it once, it says it a dozen times, they should be interconnected. If a fire starts at this end of the house, we're sleeping at that end of the house, there's every possibility we may not hear it. So a, oh, okay. you've got a single smoke, standalone smoke alarm, like that couple up in Coromatua Road. Yeah. The old lady didn't hear it. Yeah. So when you when you go to these people people's houses and you you talk to them about this stuff, how often? Or how many how many smoke alarms do you usually see in a house on average? <laughs> another good question. <laughs> Probably another good uh, 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 adjunct to that question is how many smoke alarms do we see that aren't even on the roof anymore? They're sitting on a sideboard with no battery in them. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm guilty of that because it just randomly goes off because and you'll, you just but rip it you, off. You can set your clock that it'll go off and start chirping at you at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Are but, you able to move the mic just a bit forward then? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But they, uh, uh, they also will beep when yeah. the batteries go flat, really annoy you. Yeah. And the other thing is they malfunction due to cooking smoke and things like that. So people take them down. In kitchens, we, you'll see a lot more brackets probably than smoke alarms nowadays. Right. And smoke alarms in that uh, report that was put out should not even be put in kitchens. That's where you need a heat alarm because a smoke alarm is going to go off when you cook the toast, when, you burn your when you're burning your you know, bacon or cooking some chops or something like that. And so what will people do? Hmm. they'll take the battery out, right. take it down, whatever. And when they need it most, it won't be there. A uh, heat alarm, though. You know how there are smoke alarms, The however they cost $5. Are yeah. there actually heat alarms, though? Those there, traditional old... There, there are some heat alarms, but they're pretty limited in what they do. I would imagine most people wouldn't have heat alarms, though, would they? they no, they don't. smoke alarms. Most people don't even know it. Of well, their they existence. wouldn't even know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we try and educate people. Like part of our, our presentation is to give people some education on fire safety because we do not know what we do not know. The yeah, second part right. is to do an, uh, an inspection of what they have got and point out any weaknesses if they were to have a fire. And then we showcase the latest technology so they know what's available if they ever want to improve their fire protection. So you think it's a good idea to keep doors closed um, when you're sleeping? Absolutely. There's a documentary that you can Google this, Close Before You Doze. It's a big American campaign at the moment. Uh, it's and it's trying to get people to close their doors before they go to bed. 
What was this called? Close before, Close before you doze. Before you doze. Okay. They have a, at the um, UL, which is Underwriters Laboratories, they do all the testing for just about everything. Right. They've got a place where they set up all these fire experiments. They've got this pseudo house where there's like a living room and two bedrooms. They set the living room on fire, have one bedroom door closed, the other bedroom door open, and then after they put the fire out about you know three or four minutes after the fire started and the smoke's just everywhere, they drop the side of the house down so you can see inside. The bedroom door that was closed, the people are well and truly alive. The bedroom door that was open is so blackened with smoke, the people are almost certainly would not have survived. Oh, okay. Double-edged sword, though, Reese. Yeah. If your doors are shut, less likelihood of hearing the alarm. Well, that's right. That's why you need an alarm that's pretty loud. Pretty and, loud. and interconnected. So it'll go off through the closed doors. So with OmniShield, um, is there only one type of alarm or is it multiple? No, there's multiple alarms because one, one tool does not do every job. Right. Like smoke alarms go in living areas. By living areas, I mean bedrooms, uh, hallways, offices, or living rooms. Okay. Now, smoke alarms, um, heat alarms, on the other hand, go in areas, the hot spots of the home where smoke alarms aren't very efficient, such as kitchens, where, as we were talking about earlier, people are going to take them down because they go off all the time. Um, heat alarms will only go off if there's a fire. So they, won't go wanna... off if they, they won't go off for smoke. They'll only go off for heat. Would you put a heater alarm or a smoke alarm above a dryer? A heat alarm. Heat alarm? Heat alarm, because dust will set off alarms, and in dryers have tiny bits of lint that come out of them and everything. Oh, so, good point. So heat alarms go in kitchens and laundries inside the house. Garages, because again, smoke alarms shouldn't go in garages because they malfunction due to dust and temperatures. Right. And they shouldn't go in roof spaces for the same reason. But roof spaces are quite a common place for fires to start. Again, from faulty wiring or a rat chewing through a wire or whatever. How often would a rat chew through a wire, though? Otrahonga, I think it was last winter, there were two house fires apparently caused by rats chewing through wires. How many others? Who knows? It's often hard to tell by the time the house is burnt down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I see that you've got um, you've got some fire alarms here. Yeah. Um, do you mind just... Yep, sure. Point them up and just explaining them. Um, the people who are only listening through audio will have to try and describe them to you. Basically, Sam's holding, well, it kind of looks like a landmine, but it actually isn't a landmine. Um, it looks very, very high tech. Um, yeah. So you just want to go sure. over it? So the alarms can be taken with you. Undo two screws, you can take it with you from house to house. So a large percentage of our clientele is even people that are renting right. because fires kill people just as quickly in a rented house as a house that people own. Yep. One of the reasons fire alarms malfunction, they also clog up with dust. Okay. You're supposed to vacuum them once a month, which will do absolutely nothing to clean the mechanism on the inside where mm. the dust builds up. This is the only alarm of its type where you can take the smoke chamber out and actually wash it. Ah, oh, I see. So the people who are listening on audio, basically, Sam's opened the back of a an alarm um, and showing you how to clean it, pretty much. Yep. Inside there, there's not one but two photo-optic eyes, if you like, okay. photo-optic sensors. Yep. They can be cleaned with a cotton bud dipped in alcohol. So how often, how often do you have to do that? It will tell you. Inside these things, there isn't a printed circuit board like other alarms. There's actually a computer, and the computer oh. is super smart. It will actually tell you when it needs cleaning. So how does it tell you? It needs It'll cleaning? tell you by an audible beep 
or by an app you have on your phone, you can look at it and you can see how clean your smoke chamber is. Oh, okay. So it's it's interlinked with a smartphone app. Correct. Is it correct? Is it just called OmniShield the app, or what's it called? Uh, yes, correct. OmniShield. OmniShield. So if you go on Play Store, um, the Play Store or the iOS Store, and you just type in OmniShield, it should come up. You'd see the app, but you couldn't download the app unless you had the what they call the comms link, communications link to plug into your Wi-Fi and everything like that. You could see the app though. Oh, well, and if you, well, well, could you download the app, but then it just wouldn't work if you yeah. didn't have the comms. Or you could actually go to the uh, company's website, Our Network Protects, www.ournetworkprotects.com. Uh, and and really there's a video and everything that shows you it there. Okay. All now, right. the other thing is not just the smoke. These pick up fires three ways. In the center here, we have a heat detector. Right. Now, the heat detector, remember, smoke alarms in living areas is set at 47 degrees Celsius. Okay. Even if you live in Australia, if it's 47 degrees Celsius, it's not a hot day. It's a fire in your house. However, inside it, there is a second heat alarm, mm -hmm. heat detector. And the computer, every eight seconds, measures the difference between the temperature of the two heat sensors. If the day is warming up, they warm up at the same speed. If you light your fire, put your heat pump on, they warm up about the same speed. Oh. But if there's a fire, there'll be a sudden spike in the temperature of the outside and will trigger the alarm in May 8 to 16 seconds even. Wow. Okay. And it doesn't wait till it gets to 47 degrees. It could be a freezing cold winter's night in your attic where you have a heat alarm. Yeah. Zero degrees. Mr. Rats had a munch on your wire up there and a fire started. Before it even gets to five or 10 degrees, the sudden spike in temperature would trigger the alarm. Oh, okay. Uh, wow. Again, it's got a 47, 20-year uh, lithium manganese battery in it and a 20 sorry, a 70-meter range radio receiver radio transmitter. So you've got by far the most powerful radio receiver transmitter on the market, and it's the only one that can do all those things. Okay, so in, so after 20 years, you just need to buy another smoke alarm, or are you able to just easily they, replace the battery? You can't replace the batteries, but they've also got the best warranties under the sun. Okay. Excuse me. To start with, there's a two-year uh, warranty that's just replaced, no questions asked if anything goes wrong with it. Okay. After that, there's two guarantees. The first guarantee is a fire replacement guarantee. If you ever had a fire and they were damaged, they will be replaced for you for free. If they you have a problem with them at any time after the warranty expires, even after the battery has come to its natural end of life, 20 years down the track, they will replace the unit for approximately, depending on obviously rates of exchange and everything else, a quarter the price of a brand new one. They do not want someone with, say, a six-alarm system suddenly being reduced to a five-alarm because Murphy's Law says, where would the fire start? Mm. That's a bit like me buying this Samsung phone for 1600 bucks and Samsung replacing it for 400 right. I I wish. <laughs> yeah. So how much, how much would one of these average for in price? Well... Depending on how many you need, when we when we do an assessment on people's homes, we look at total protection. Right. Now, uh, maybe I should just show them quickly the heat and the other one yeah, as well yeah, first. Yeah, sure. Okay. Go, and we'll go, then go, go. come back to that. So that one there is the heat detector. It doesn't pick up smoke. There's no events for the smoke there. Yeah. So uh, if um, just people who are listening to audio, you can tell the difference of the uh, the different alarms by there's a little logo and the writing on the front, isn't there? Yeah. There's a, it says smoke or heat. Smoke, and then that one says heat. Doesn't Correct. It? And yeah. there's vents to allow smoke in, but no vents on the heat. Okay. Just the heat detector on the outside and a heat detector hidden behind the heat shield. Right. 
Right. It's got three different heat settings though. One 47 degrees inside the house kitchen laundry. It's 57 in the apex of your garage or workshop. 79 degrees in the roof space of your house because it gets stinking hot up there. Uh, same thing though. It could wait. It could go off before it hit five or ten degrees because it's going to pick up that sudden spike in heat. Is there is there any way because of climate change in places like Australia and India that get ridiculously hot? Um, is there any way would that still work, or would it? Is there a chance of it uh, not sensing the difference? Oh, it'll it'll still work because I know I know last year in Australia temperatures got up to like fifty but degrees in some places. There's, there's a couple of spots where they got really hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that's so unusual; it doesn't really. Yeah. You know, okay, but we don't have to worry about that here in New Zealand. Don't have to worry about that in New Zealand. Okay. All right. And the last one here is a com uh, carbon monoxide. Right. Now, carbon monoxide is affectionately known as the silent killer because you cannot see, smell, or taste it. In Europe, the Americas, England, places like that, where they have the minus 20 and 30 degree winters, everyone's got uh, boiler rooms for their central heating systems. Right. One leak from a boiler, one exhaust leak, can put enough carbon monoxide into a home to kill the entire family. They just go to sleep and never wake up. So it's not much of an issue here in most places in New Zealand, but a lot of people have gas heating. I've got gas heating, just like Rinai gas heating in my home, but I've put yeah. a carbon monoxide alarm in because a leaky exhaust from my gas heating could put enough carbon monoxide into the room to kill us. Uh, so carbon monoxide is something, if you've got heat pumps, not really a necessity. Nice, but not a necessity. Yeah. Um, it's got the same heat detection as well. Oh, okay. So would you have multiple alarms in one room though? So would you have smoke and carbon monoxide in one room? In... Uh, my living room, I've got carbon. I've got two, a couple of levels in my home. I've got two carbon monoxides, one in the hall in the upstairs part, and I've got a smoke detector on the ceiling of the in that hallway. Uh, downstairs, where most of the gas is, is, I've got a carbon monoxide and a heat. But sometimes you can get away with only one. Okay. Uh, the other thing it does is it's got this thing called a bedside control unit because people don't want to jump up on a chair to press the button. Okay. I, I sort of, you sort of explain the event positioning system. If a fire starts in one end of the house, all the alarms, all the will alarms go, off. go off. If you press the button on any unit, all the alarms will stop except where the fire is. So that means, Reese, if a fire started in your home tonight, uh, you press the button on any unit in the house, Every alarm will stop except where the fire is. You'll jump out with that fire extinguisher you now have in the bedroom and shoot to the only place still making a noise, hopefully put that fire out before it grows to an unmanageable level. Okay. Do you mind now, just showing um, people now, in the camera what that yep. is? Now, this thing here is called a bedside control unit. Okay. Because we don't want to be climbing on a bed to push the button on the ceiling, especially yep. if we have high ceilings, we're short or anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, this has four uses. First use, it's a bedside control unit. Before your feet have hit the floor, you press the button and every alarm house in the house stops. And that just sits on your bedside table. Could uh, you still, I suppose if you didn't have that, then you'd have to do it manually and... Press one up there, yeah. Press one, okay. Yeah. And hope, hope no one in your family is short. And at the end of the day, if they've all gone off, at least you're alerted to it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the second use for this is as a test facility. All the other alarms say test weekly, I mean, climb on a chair and go around pressing every button and vacuum monthly. People are <laughs> going to fall off a chair and break their neck before they have a fire. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
this you can just press one button every alarm will sound to give you the peace of mind knowing they're all working even though they self-diagnose with the computer and will tell you if there's an error okay. still peace of mind it's nice to hear them yeah third it's a panic alarm your wife's at home by herself she thinks someone's trying to break into the house she presses the button all the alarms go off and frighten the intruder away and its initial um use was to uh, wake well, the main reason they designed it was to wake people who are hard to wake. They okay. could be hard to wake because they're deaf, yep. uh, because they um, have had too many beers or wines before they went to sleep. Could be they're on medications or sleeping pills of some description. Could be because they're just super tired or super heavy sleepers. There's a little puck here on a yeah, wire connected. Yeah, I was about connected. to ask what that was. That's what's called the bed, the bed shaker. Okay. This fits under your mattress and shakes your bed like Kaikoura earthquake is under your mattress. And the unit, oh, wow. okay. the unit beside it is um, got a horn, which is a 520 hertz square wave, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the best noise known for waking the deaf or all those other people we're talking about. Yeah. And well, it's a, it's a, a square sound is a pretty piercing sound. Yeah, and apparently it vibrates the eardrums a lot more than a higher pitch or something like that. I don't yeah, really yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to listen to that for too yeah. long. You probably damage your eardrums. Well, that's why uh, that's why ambulances don't go wee wee wee. They go wee wah wee wah. Yeah, yeah. To give people a greater range of hearing. Yeah. And finally, there's a thing called a water sensor. Okay. Uh, the insurance companies say that one out of three homes will have a serious water leak at some stage in their lifetime. Could be a hot water cylinder. Could be a um, kids leave the bath plug in and the tap running could be a laundry overflows a broken pipe whatever it is doesn't matter these go anywhere that you fear you could have a water leak the base of its 23 karat gold so it won't rust corrode has right. the same 20 year battery and 70 meter range radio receiver and it just fits underneath your dishwasher underneath your laundry tub underneath your hot water cylinder anywhere where you're concerned uh, so if there is a leak does it just make a a loud noise does it this makes a little noise but then it triggers off the other alarm oh okay so you wouldn't be able to get that without the no, you'd, alarm or they, you, they you could actually hand. yeah if you had the um the app if you had the app because it will send you a message to say you have a water leak oh and, right and i actually had a water leak myself only uh Six weeks ago, okay, I was out doing a, a presentation with someone, and I don't check my phone when I get text messages. But uh, Victoria was home; she heard the alarm go off, checked her phone. It said there's a water leak at the hot water cylinder. Uh, plumber char quoted us three and a half grand to fix it. As luck would have it, I replaced a valve for two hundred and eight dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but we were going away for 10 days. If that had yep. been a serious leak and it had flooded the house for 10 days, it would have been a different story. Yeah, yeah. And it was only a very small leak, but that just shows you what can yeah. happen. And it's good that you know DIY. <laughs> <laughs> Friends of ours that live in Fongamatar had a water leak recently, two-story place, flooded the top floor, and obviously water works its way down. 20 grand's worth of damage overnight. $20,000 worth $20, of damage. $20,000 worth of damage overnight. Like the plaster on the walls bubble, the the, the chipwood floors turn to wheat picks, uh, carpets need replacing or drying. Or whatever. Insurance help them out. Well, fortunately, with a uh, and this is a, a, another very good point, Reese. If it's an accident like that, a burst pipe, insurance pays. If it's a slow leak, they don't. They say that's not an accident. That's just slow leak. The maximum they'll pay is about two and a half grand if you're lucky. Oh, I don't like insurance companies. They just, <laughs> they try to they, they like find taking... loopholes so you 
They love taking so you your money. So they don't, yeah, they like taking your money and they like not giving you money when you correct, need it. Correct, correct. Yeah. But another friend who actually also lives in Whangamataa, she's an elderly lady. She, They've got a batch over in Whangamataa. She'd been quite ill, so she hadn't been over there for I don't know how long. When she went over, the again, two-story place, um, Lord knows how long the, hot, the water had pipe had been broken upstairs 200 grand's worth of damage maybe a house flooded for a month or so who knows 200 grand's worth of damage but again it was a broken pipe so the insurance companies as luck would have it are paying for it i didn't really need to get an insurance person on here i think <laughs> the, the other the other um thing about water is it takes mold and we've heard so much about mold with the leaky homes and you know damp homes and everything that's been in the news for so long yeah um, mold takes between 24 and 48 hours to establish after a water leak. So your home can be filling up with mold spores as well. Do you, obviously with your line of work, with you obviously doing door knocking and visiting people at their homes, yeah. and because we have such a bad housing issue here, yeah. do you do you end up selling those those water, what are they yeah. called? Water, water, water sensor. Water sensor. It's a water sensor. Yeah. yeah. It's just like a... Just like a smoke detector, it's a water detector. Yeah, yeah. Well, or it also do freezing too, which isn't really necessary in the Waikato. But if you live in the South Island, when freezing occurs, it uh, pipes break. So yeah, leave an alert: yeah. you're freezing if you like to. But do you do um, do you often go into homes and see mold and um, leaks where people require those? Yeah, we we always ask people, you know, have you ever had a water leak in the home? Some people and, might not even know though. And yeah, that's true. But a lot of people do say, yes, my hot water cylinder broke, the kids left the bath plug in, the dishwasher pose broke or whatever. A lot of people have had water leaks. Mm. Would, um, it, would that pick up condensation and stuff from the windows though? No. No. no it doesn't pick up condensation. It just picks up water. Just water? Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. Uh, okay. Was that it? Was it? Um... That's, oh, the other thing, of course, is the app. So the other oh, thing, yes, which I didn't bring in to show people because it's only a little it's thing. It's an app. That, so if people want to see it, your... they can probably download it. You might, yeah. might be able to use it, but you can still well, There's a little it. thing you plug into your into your router or whatever, and that sends all the messages out to people. Oh, okay. You can actually go on um, onto your phone, and I can actually probably show you this. You people, that those that are watching, uh, I'll just open this up. For those who aren't watching, I'll try and describe it to you. <laughs> So if I look at my phone, it's telling me. All right. Do you want to just hold that up to yep. that camera? Okay. So those are all my smoke detectors, heat detectors, water okay. sensors, and so forth. Yeah. So if uh, I want to, if I want to check the situation in the upstairs hallway, for example, you can see the smoke level. Oh uh, yeah. You can even. So see it shows the different levels, the battery, the temperature. It shows quite a, yeah, quite a huge amount of of data in terms of. The information for all these things. Yeah. <laughs> and it will also send texts, as I said, to up to eight people. Right. So you and your wife would get a text if you were out of the house. Your next door neighbor could get a text, come in and either alert the fire department if it was a smoke or a heat sensor going off. Okay. Um, come up and turn your water mains off if it was a water leak for you. Well, so, that's why you got to make sure that you get on well with your neighbors. That's right. <laughs> Friends, rallies, anyone that lives close by that you can rely on. Yeah. 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 Okay, so how how do the regulations in terms of fires work in Australasia compared to say America? Because you you mentioned before the show that you recently went to America. Yep. And they're based in America. These guys, yep. Omnishield, aren't they? Yeah. Yep. Correct. Um, so what's the what's the differences in terms of um, 
regulations and law. Well, if I go, if I give you the example of uh, Australia and New Zealand. Okay. Um, Queensland and the Northern Territory are the only two states that have radically improved their fire protection regulations. When you say radically improved, what do you mean exactly? Well, put it this way. Uh, Years and years ago, you could buy a car without seatbelts in the front. Then they said, well, you have to have seatbelts in the front if you want to sell cars in New Zealand, but we didn't have to wear them. Okay. You didn't even have to have them in the back. Right. Then they made it compulsory to wear them. They made it compulsory to put them in the back and compulsory to wear them in the back. Yeah. None of us would put our kids in the back seat without seat belting them in these days. Okay. Well, our fire regulations in every state of Australia and New Zealand are pretty much like the days where you had to have seat belts, but you didn't actually have to wear them. One, um, one detector on each level is the minimum requirement. How many rooms is that covering, Rhys? One Smoke one, detector. One smoke detector. Per level. That's the minimum requirement. That's not enough. No, it's nowhere near enough. Queensland, and Queensland, a bit like the um, Christchurch massacre, it wasn't until 50 people died that they thought maybe we should improve our gun laws. Well, this seems to be the thing with a lot of things, right? It's, it takes some type of dramatic or traumatic event. Catastrophic event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In order for people to be like, oh, okay we should probably change this. And that's what happened in Queensland. There was a major fire where 13 people died in the one fire. There was another one where I think it was nine or 11, I'm not 100% sure, at a place called Emerald. And I've actually met some of the whānau of those people. They were, some of them were Kiwis. Um, and there was another one that is a celebrity chef named Matt Galinsky. His wife, three kids died in a house fire and he got horribly burnt. His two photoelectric alarms did not go off on Christmas, on uh, Boxing Day. Right. On Boxing Day. And all those fires happened and suddenly the Queensland government guess, let's up our ante. But ours, um, the regulations are pretty pathetic, really. Um, so why hasn't the rest of Australia... Because they haven't had those that number of fatal fires and every state does its own thing. That's probably <laughs> cons of having different states. Yeah. They're different um, uh, legal matters and... Yeah. laws. But they just bought a paper out. Uh, it came out August last year. Do you remember being the... Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, they just bought a paper out that came out last year. Yeah. It was um, AFAC, if you, if you Google it, uh, Smoke Regulations in Residential Dwellings, I think it's called. Right. Um, it was put together by the Australian and New Zealand fire officials, not government bureaucrats. These are people that have been at the coalface when there have been tragic fires. Okay. Um, Inherent to the whole thing is that there should be, all alarms should be um, interconnected. There should be one in every bedroom, living space, paths of travel and everything. It's basically up the ante here, guys, because people are dying totally unnecessarily due to not finding out in time. Right. Because again, time is what kills us in a fire. Forget the smoke and all that. It's getting out in time that kills us. Yeah. Not getting out in time. Could you us. could you ever approach the government with any of this stuff to try and make them implement this as law? Look, I wish the government would regulate that everyone had to have it, Reese, to be honest, but it probably won't happen. Right. Gov- government departments never endorse any particular product. They might say, well, that's we recommend this type of product and not that type of product, but they don't endorse a brand, just the way they work. Right which is fair enough because endorsing brands would lead to horrible things like bribery and everything else, wouldn't it? Yeah, and it's particularly if there's one particular brand that kind of controls everything and there's a monopoly, then... Exactly. You know, they can um, 
basically do extortion with 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 regards to making people pay i kind of feel like that's what sky did yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay um so do you know what smoke alarm regulations are on a worldwide front i don't know the worldwide front because they vary from country to country and probably state to state but i do know that new york state uh in america has just banned the sale of any smoke alarm that uses a replaceable battery so you, all your alarms that you most people have at home with their nine volt batteries, yeah, they're banned by for sale in New York State now. The reason being, sixty percent of fire fatalities occur where there's non-working smoke alarms. Now they might not work for a number of reasons. People have taken them down because they annoy the heck out of them. Mm. Uh, they've taken them down to replace the battery and haven't got around to doing it. Right. The battery's gone flat. They don't know the battery's gone flat. The thing's full of dust and the sensors aren't picking up the smoke anymore. Yeah. It's the wrong type of fire for that type of alarm, wrong type of smoke. Um, you know, they just didn't go off. Yeah. Uh, so that's the main reason. Uh, and they've, like I say, they've banned it. They have to be long life batteries. Mm. And what I love about this product, it's set and forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's Put right. it up and... That's right. And we hope I mean, once you have it, then you don't have to worry about it anymore, do you? Exactly. And we hope they, people never even hear them. Mm. It's like when we buy our car insurance. We don't buy our car insurance hoping to have an accident. Yeah. Hopefully it's a waste of money at the end of the day. Yeah. So have mm. you have you sold any of these and then someone's ended up in a house fire and that's... One of, my, one of my early customers is an elderly couple from um, Melville. Yep. They, they're in their 80s. They put a five alarm system in their home. Right. And they had an oven fire the day after they put them in. I've got a lovely yeah. testimonial video from the lady who says it was amazing. All the alarms went off uh, one, you know, simultaneously and it saved their house. Wow. Now, it was daytime, so they in all probability would have escaped, but at 80 years old, you don't need to lose your home, do you? No. So how did they prevent it? Did they have one of those fiberglass fire blankets or? No, it was just fire started in the oven. And I think the the son was there and he came and helped put it out. Maybe they're closing the oven up or suffocating it somehow. They would have had the fire blanket because we would have given it to them. But I actually never asked them how they put it out, to be honest with you. Oh, okay. But the day after, I couldn't engineer that to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's very reward. It's very rewarding that uh, when I was in the states recently, uh, they had the national convention. There was something like about two hundred reported to our company cases of people who had had their alarms go off and literally lives had been saved because of that. Yeah, either carbon monoxide, a lot of carbon, more carbon monoxide over there because they've all got their boilers, uh, oh, but yeah. also fires as well. And yeah. And uh, yeah, so something like 200 people that had possibly survived a fire because of their system. Yeah. Oh, well, how come, um, because I hadn't heard of this technology before, how come it's, it seems to be, I don't know, well, it's not in the, in the limelight, really. How come it's, um, is this a recent thing that's only come here to New Zealand? Well, after that fire in Gisborne, July 2017, as I said, I went to the States, saw it, and uh, they just started in Australia. They wanted to start in New Zealand, so I came back and the company started in uh, January 2018. Oh, wow. So it's quite in its its infancy. And we are seriously looking for people to help us get it started. So uh, So if there's people that want to become uh, sellers of this this technology, this forward-thinking technology... 
um, would they contact you or? Yeah, contact us. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, the probably by the by our our um, Sam at HSN. That's HSN Finelli Home Safety Networks. HSN dot nz is our website. If they just sent an email to Sam at HSN, okay, uh, that will get through to me. That will get through to you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. Um, is there anything? Well, I might I might wrap up here. Uh, yep. Was there anything else you wanted to add? No, other other than the fact that we're also looking for office. We'd like to start get offices to protect families from Kaitaia down to Invercargill. Right. So we're not only looking for people just for the sales side of, of it, but we're also looking for people who are business minded, who would be interested in perhaps uh, starting a, a an office up somewhere else in the country. Right. Because is it primarily just based in the Waikato at the moment? At the moment, it's primarily in the Waikato. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So you're looking for other business people to set it up elsewhere within the country. Correct. Yeah. Have you sold any of these to other people in the country though? Or is it oh, just Waikato? Oh. oh, yeah. We have some areas of the country. There's some. Yeah. Do you, um, do you guys have a website or anything? Yeah, we do. It's our network protects. Our network protects. Dot com. www.ournetworkprotects.com. Dot com. Okay, cool. And if you go forward slash Sam Barnes after that, it'll come up to my actual site. All right. Does it have a nice little picture of you as well with your face on it? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, um, I'll uh, wrap it up there. But hey, thank you so much for coming through. It's been a pleasure. And yep. we're, you know, our company motto is protect the world one family at a time. And anything that you can do to help spread the message is always greatly appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Us. Well, this is, this is uh, very important stuff that I think a lot of people need to hear. Um, as you've said before, that... Uh, nobody thinks it's going to happen to them, but it can easily happen to them. It can happen to anyone at any time. Exactly. So um, they need to be prepared. So if you're wanting to uh, buy any of this this stuff, then, um, yep, contact Sam. Um, go to the website or email him. Um, if not, you can always contact me and I can pass the details on. But otherwise, everybody stay safe and... Um, don't have any fires. <laughs> yes, thank you very much, everyone, for listening to us tonight. All thank right, you. see you later.